0: Good neighbors are hard to find is something that I've heard a lot. My grandpa always used to say, good fences make good neighbors. This is actually a proverb from Dwight's American magazine dating all the way back to 1846. The American poet, Robert Frost, used it in his poem, Mending Wall. And this line follows, Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. Frost also asked the question in his poem, Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out. Maybe you've heard that good neighbors are hard to find, too. Well, that's not the case on my street. One evening, my neighbor and I sat out by the fire pit talking while our kids played until well after 10 o'clock at night. I know that I had needed that time to talk. The truth is, my family is surrounded by good neighbors. Neighbors that care. Neighbors that are available. Neighbors that we have relationships with. They'll wave and they'll smile each time they see you. They'll watch out for your kids, and they'll run to your aid when you need them. My kids are living the dream of a happy and playful childhood because of good neighbors. They run around outside from yard to yard, playing games like Ghost in the Graveyard and German Spotlight, and Kick the Can. They make up their own games, and they bike ride together in what could almost be called a biker gang and they enjoy valuable friendships with our neighbors. Before we moved to our neighborhood five years ago, we prayed for neighbors and for friends like these. I'm thrilled that my kids are growing up much the same way that I did. I played outside endlessly with neighbor friends, the family across the street took me to church with them every Wednesday night, and I even played the same games that my children play today. My kids have a safe place with neighbors who are there for us, and we are there for them. There's a giving and a receiving to neighborhood relationships, isn't there? Good neighbors are hard to find, or are they? This summer, our church is on mission together to go love your neighborhood. This initiative has us getting to know our neighbors and being good neighbors to those who live around us. Many of us are doing new things, stepping out of our comfort zones in different ways to be good neighbors. From neighborhood VBS parties to an adult cooking class to learn how to make amazing Asian food, books and bites, and many other neighboring endeavors, we are loving our neighbors. The entire premise of the book for this summer, The Art of Neighboring, is that if we can just obey God's command of loving Him, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, we can change the world and change it for the better. We can be good neighbors and essentially start a movement in our neighborhoods of loving our neighbors in tangible and in real ways. This creates neighbors that care for one another and that ultimately can share Christ, sparking conversations about Jesus and faith in Jesus. So, what does it take to be a good neighbor? John, the writer of the Gospel of John, introduces us to what it takes to be a good neighbor with the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is the only event in the ministry of Jesus that is recorded in all of the four Gospels. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus is meeting the needs of people doing signs or miracles on the sick to make them well, and he is drawing a crowd doing it. The people were amazed at the words that Jesus is speaking and at what he has done. Passover is at hand, and wherever Jesus goes, the people are listening to Jesus and following him. Now John doesn't record the time of day in his gospel, but the other gospel accounts let us know that Jesus sits down with his disciples towards the end of the day. It's getting late in the evening, but no one wants to go away. They all want to stay and listen to Jesus and to see what he is going to do. Have you ever been somewhere or with someone and you didn't want to leave? And the time just flew by? And you were so wrapped up in what was happening, you didn't want to miss what would happen next? While I was serving in Kenya with Wikif Bible Translators, I was invited to sit in on a translation checking session with the Congolese translation team. This was for the logo New Testament, and I was absolutely thrilled, like beyond excited. That morning, I got up, and I walked the mile and a half to where the team would be meeting. And I was so excited to see Bible translation happen right in front of me. I get there, and for the next six hours of translation checking word by word and verse by verse, through the book of Acts, and it went by so fast, those six hours. As I was listening to all that was going on and the conversations going back and forth, I barely noticed that I had this pain in my right side. After the session was over, I walked the mile and a half back home hunched over in pain. I got home and I went back and forth between, today was so great! And then they said this, and then this happened, to, huh, I really don't feel good. I finally told my husband I was just going to go to bed. He, obviously worried, convinced me to call a nurse friend who rushed over and took us straight to the hospital. Later that night, I was having an emergency appendectomy because my appendix was about to burst, but, I didn't miss a minute of that translation checking session, even with an infected appendix. The people who are with Jesus don't want to miss a minute of time with Jesus that evening. Jesus, sitting with his disciples, lifts up his eyes and sees that this large crowd of people is coming towards him. They have been following him because of the signs that he was performing and they are wanting to see what he is going to do next. Jesus turns to one of his disciples, Philip, and asks him a question. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus knows that the people are hungry and that they need to eat. It is most likely way past dinner time. So Jesus asks Philip, one of his disciples, where they can buy some bread to feed all of these people. Jesus tests Philip when he asks him this, I don't know about you, but I don't really like tests. I don't know many people who do enjoy tests, but tests cause us to learn more about the subject that we are being tested on. For example, God tested Abraham when he asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Does Jesus ever test us and our faith in him? Does Jesus ever test us to see if we're good neighbors? How do we even pass these tests? Jesus tests Philip, and this test would cause Philip to not only learn about who Jesus is, but it would also enable others to have faith in Jesus. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, and Philip answers Jesus' question of where to buy bread in a practical way, maybe in a way like you or I would answer this question. Two hundred denarii would not a worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. You can hear Philip respond in this way, can't you? Come on, Jesus. You're really asking me about buying bread for all of these people? 200 denarii wouldn't even be enough. Can you imagine paying for something with 200 of these coins? A denarius was a silver coin worth about a day's wage, so 200 denarii equaled more than six months of wages. Can you imagine paying more than half of your year's salary to feed a bunch of people, and a bunch of people you don't even know? That much money, six months of earnings, would not have even bought enough bread for this hungry crowd. When we consider being a good neighbor, do we think that we don't have the resources? Maybe the extra fridge in the garage that holds all the drinks and the huge watermelon? Maybe the house with all the square feet for the dinner party? Or maybe the house with the great backyard? Is this the test that stops us from being a good neighbor? I know that sometimes thinking I don't have what is needed can stop me from being a good neighbor. Sometimes I'm not even willing to offer what is needed to my neighbors, even if it is smaller than half a year's wages. We could go on and on about not having the right things to be a good neighbor. Many things can keep us from passing the good neighbor test, from having enough time to maybe having the right personality, to having the desired abilities to do something, or even having the financial means. Philip is thinking in what is possible for him to do in this situation and what he has, not what Jesus can accomplish. If you think about it, we respond like Philip a lot. I can't do that. It's too much. I'm tired and I'm busy. And what I have to offer just isn't enough. We might want to be good neighbors, but we don't think we have anything to offer. Or that what we have to offer is too small. Andrew, another one of Jesus' disciples, speaks up. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? If 200 denarii aren't enough, certainly five barley loaves and two small fish aren't enough. This boy's meal of five barley loaves and two fish amounted to nothing in comparison to the need that all of these people had to be fed. Barley loaves were a poor man's meal, inexpensive and small. They probably looked more like small, round cakes, and the fish were most likely equally small. The boys' meal is offered nonetheless. Good neighbors offer what they have. Good neighbors offer what they have even when the offering seems small. Small in comparison to maybe what others have offered, or small in comparison to the need that is there. Andrew looks around for what is available and said, hey, here's a boy who has brought his lunch. Andrew knows it isn't enough, but Jesus is right here. Andrew knows he is friends with a person who can perform wondrous signs and miracles. Andrew is the disciple that throughout the Gospels knows people need Jesus and he brings people to Jesus. My youngest son, Charlie, his middle name is Andrew. No, it it isn't a family name. It's after Andrew, the disciple of Jesus, and a name given to Charlie with intent. We have prayed over Charlie that he would be someone who brings people to Jesus because Jesus is the one who can overcome all of our inadequacies and meet all of our needs. Andrew brings the boy with a small lunch to Jesus, the small lunch is offered, and Jesus says, have the people sit down. The people sit in a grassy area and the number of men is 5,000. This number doesn't even include the women and the children who were there in the crowd that evening. Jesus takes the loaves of bread and gives thanks and distributes the loaves and the fish to all of the people in the crowd. So also the fish, and as much as they wanted. Jesus distributes the food, and the bread and the fish are multiplied, and the people eat as much as they want. The boy who gives his lunch to feed the crowd started out with only enough for himself, maybe barely enough for himself. I have boys, and I've seen how much they can eat, and it's a lot. Jesus performs the miracle of feeding more than 5,000 people from only this small meal of five barley loaves and two small fish, much from little because of Jesus. How much could Jesus do through us if we offer him what we have even when we think it isn't enough? The art of neighboring says it like this, It doesn't take a superhero to be a great neighbor. We all wish we were a bit more of something. Smarter, funnier, wealthier. Often we have a hard time recognizing what we do have to offer. When it comes to neighboring, it's important to figure out how we can make a difference in the lives of our neighbors. It may not seem that we have much, but when we give from what we have, something sacred happens. God uses the small things that we bring to him and multiplies them into a miracle in someone else's life. Good neighbors offer what they have. I wonder if the boy, while deciding to give his lunch, worries that he will be hungry that night because this is his meal. I wonder what what made the boy give his lunch even though he could certainly see the great crowd and knew it wouldn't go far. Charlie started second grade at a different school than he had been attending for kindergarten and first grade. Going to a new school can be really hard. Charlie didn't know anyone, none of his friends were there, and he was absolutely miserable. The one redeeming factor being at a different school that year was a little girl that he sat beside named Quinn. One day, Quinn was sitting on a bench outside talking to a teacher during recess, but not playing with anyone. Charlie and another student went to ask Quinn to play. Charlie started talking with Quinn in class. He helped her when she needed it. He picked up her dropped pencils. Charlie even learned some sign language to talk with Quinn. You see, Quinn is mute. Quinn was the one that made Charlie's school year that year. Her friendship was what got him through a difficult time. When we give what we have, it has the potential to change someone's life, no matter how small. Children being good neighbors is just as important and just as much used by Jesus as when adults are good neighbors. Do you hear that, kids? You being a good neighbor matters, and Jesus will do big things through you. Each summer our church hosts a vacation Bible school. We usually have around 130 kids attending and they're singing and they're experiencing the Bible in a unique way and they're making friends during games and crafts and snacks. Our church family reaches out in a huge, huge combined effort during VBS to share Jesus. Well, this summer we couldn't all meet here so we did something better. We took VBS to our neighborhoods and we reached a completely different demographic of kids in smaller neighborhood groups. Our church families are reaching out to 15 different neighborhood groups to share Jesus this summer. We have been praying that VBS would have double the impact when done with neighborhood relationships at the center of it. And you know, it's our Kenwood kids, their actions and their attitudes and their own faith in God and what he has done for them that make the biggest impact on the lives of other children. The kids as well as the adults are the ones sharing Jesus through neighborhood VBS parties with their friends and their neighbors. Neighborhoods VBS might be smaller, but they matter and they have been fruitful. There is still time to host a neighborhood VBS this summer if you would like to. Give the little you have and watch God do a miracle. The crowd of over 5,000 people eat their fill. Jesus has multiplied the small lunch of the boy. Jesus asks his disciples to gather what is left over from the meal, and they gather 12, 12 overflowing baskets of barley loaves, Jesus gives thanks to the Father for the food. The bread has satisfied the people's hunger, and none of those 5,000-some people could have eaten another bite. Because a boy offers his small lunch, Jesus performs an amazing miracle that 5,000 people plus see firsthand. Up until this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has turned water into wine at a wedding, healed an official's sick son, and healed a man who could not walk at the pool of Bethesda. In John's Gospel, miracles are called signs, and these signs point to who Jesus is. God has spoken to his peoples in many different ways over the course of history, through the signs in the Exodus, through the law, through the prophets, and now God speaks to his people through Jesus. Jesus turns water into wine, revealing that he will be poured out for the salvation of God's people. Jesus is the best way that God has spoken to his people, and Jesus is the best, saved for last. Much like the wine that Jesus made at the wedding, being served last there. When Jesus changes the water to wine, his disciples believe in him. Jesus reveals himself as having power over sickness and death when he heals the official son. Jesus didn't even have to be there with the sick son, but he brings healing and life. And the official and all of his household believe after seeing the son recover at the very hour that Jesus said, your son will live. Jesus reveals himself as having authority over sin and fulfilling the law when he heals a man who could not walk for 38 years of his life at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus tells the man to get up, take up your bed, and walk. The man gets up and walks, and Jesus tells him to go and sin no more. Jesus is revealed in the signs that he performs the one who offers his own life to be poured out, the one who defeats death by rising again himself, and the one who forgives our sin by taking our punishment because of his great love for us. And now as he feeds 5,000 people and teaches them, he reveals that he is the one who gives everlasting life. Jesus teaches the people that he is the true bread So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus meets a very basic and absolutely essential need when he feeds the people bread. Their hunger is satisfied. But then he meets another very basic and absolutely essential need, the need for life. Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven, sent by the Father, not only to sustain life, but to give life. Jesus continues, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says, I am the living bread. Jesus tells us exactly who he is, so that believing in him, we might have eternal life. The bread that he will give for the life of the world is his flesh, his body. Jesus will give his body so that whoever comes to Jesus and believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Jesus offered his body on the cross for all of us to accomplish what we needed the most. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know the joy it is to be united to someone who really loves you. Jesus has given us access to the love of God. If you've ever lost a loved one to death, you know how important everlasting life is. Jesus has given us everlasting life. If you've ever sinned, you know how needed forgiveness can be. Jesus reveals himself as the one person the one person in the history of the world who can give all of this to all who believe in him. Jesus satisfies. Jesus gives what we cannot earn, gain, or give to ourselves. And Jesus offers these things as easily as he offers bread to those who would accept him. Whoever believes has eternal life. People see Jesus demonstrate who he is in powerful ways when we offer what we have. Good neighbors offer what they have, and Jesus is the one who reveals himself. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. Philip, Andrew, and the boy, and the crowd saw the power of Jesus because the boy offers what he has. They committed their lives to Jesus and they put their faith in the bread of life. When we offer what we have to our neighbors, like time around a fire pit, a helping hand, or a smiling, friendly face, Jesus is the one who works miracles, revealing himself. Good neighbors are hard to find, or are they?